Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and today I'm talking with Brooke Warner. Brooke is the co-founder and publisher of She Writes Press. She's also an author advocate and has written several titles, including Greenlight Your Book, What's Your Book, How to Sell Your Memoir, and the co-author of Breaking Ground on Your Memoir. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, you know, in the book, you sort of advise authors to make their own bank account just for their writing income. And I thought that was interesting and also fantastic because in a way it's, it really moves you from writing as a hobby into a serious career. That's right. Yeah. I think it's super important for writers who are aspiring authors to take that first step and treat it seriously and start paying themselves, even if just a little bit of money too, you could even just pay yourself $5 per writing session, <laughs> something to get the ball rolling and, and to get a little bit of money into that account until you really start earning money as an author. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting and cool way to sort of not only just sort of set an intention, but also to attract that to you, that you're accepting money, even if you're just paying yourself for the first little bit. There was also something you mentioned, which was the five P's of publishing. What are those? The five P's of publishing are patience, perseverance, platform, publicity, and then this weird little word, prolificness, <laughs> uh, be, being prolific. And, um, yeah, I just there, there are five things that I have seen be important to authors who succeed because with patience, it's a long-term game, and that sort of falls right into perseverance as well. I've known people who are like, oh, well, so-and-so is so successful, but if you listen to so-and-so's story, she likely has had tons of rejections or she's been working at this for 10 years or longer. And so it really is a long-term game. And even though everyone has the dream of having that first book be a breakout success, it's usually the third and fourth books that see authors I would say moving the needle when that is the moment that it starts to make an impact like, oh, this person is here, they're here to stay. Um, platform, you know, for those who don't know what it is, although most aspiring authors and, and writers do, it's that thing that the publishing industry is obsessed with your visibility and that you need to be seen you need to be building a network you need to have a social media presence and and that's a long-term game plan I wrote about this in my first book I wrote about it again in this book because it's important to authors no matter how they choose to publish whether they self-publish or traditionally publish or in between and then publicity is um, obvious (laughs) you know you do need to have some publicity and I think I guess I I have changed my own tune in that um, in the last four years I think publicity is more important than I ever thought it was because I realized that my author's success is largely due to publicity uh, post-publication and then finally prolificness ties back into the perseverance and the patience, because in order to 
do that, you know, to keep going and to have this long-term game plan, you, you really do need to write often and have a second book or a third book in the pipeline. And that can be daunting for authors, but this is, you know, why they're the, the five P's of publishing success. And, you know, there was an interesting story you told within the book about an author who really got involved in the process because I think, you know, a lot of people write and they think they just write the book and drop it off and that's the end of it. (laughs) And they don't Mm -hmm. have to do the work after. But getting involved in the legwork and this author took it upon himself to learn the whole hail. Uh, the wholesale process, like how it actually worked. Would you mind sharing that story with our listeners? Yeah, of course. I heard this story from an Ingram rep. And so Ingram is one of the biggest companies in publishing, and they have all of these divisions. You know, So they have a publishing services division, and they have a self-publishing division, and they also have a wholesale division. And so this author uh, decided to, he got a book deal and he went, he took upon himself to go down to Nashville to visit Ingram and he went to the wholesaler and took a meeting and asked good questions. They're, they're so nice down there in Nashville. They gave him a ride back to the airport. Um, <laughs> and, and he asked the guy, you know, who took him on the ride. And this was the Ingram rep that I happened to talk to all of these questions about how it works. He really educated himself and um, as he was leaving the cab, you know, he introduced himself as a up-and-coming, you know, he had just signed his first book, and it was John Grisham. And, um, and later, this rep, who I know and work with, told me he, he was thrilled and not surprised to see when he hit the bestseller list because this author had taken such a deep interest in understanding the whole process. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that he got so involved early on and now look at how successful he is. And it it's really is to each author and writer's benefit to get involved and learn every aspect of the industry. You know, and that's what I loved so much about your book is because you broke it down very simply, you know, for both people that are going the traditional route and to self-publish as well. Thank you. you. Yeah, of, I use that yeah. uh, story as an example of aptitude. I say that you mm-hmm. you don't have to have aptitude to publish, obviously, but those who are successful are people who are going to be really curious about the industry and who want to understand it and want to learn how to walk the talk. You know, there's there's all kinds of there's a spectrum of authors out there, but you are going to have a better chance of success if you dig in and, and understand the inner workings. Yeah, and that's I think that's what I love so much about your book is because there were things I was reading that I didn't know about. I'm always trying to learn and, and grow as I'm writing and getting ready to publish. And there were things that, you know, were so profound for me, even, you know, doing all these interviews that I learned about the industry and how things work. And you also, you know, Platform is discussed a lot. And you said in it that platform is not a destination. What are your thoughts on building author platforms and how important do you feel they are for authors to cultivate? Yeah, I mean, I think they're critical, <laughs> they're really, because a lot of people were like, oh, well, it's just for traditional publishing. But, of course, it's not. It's You have to have that visibility just to sell books. I, I use this metaphor a lot when I when I speak that you can't go out and write your book in a cave and then come out of that cave and just hang the sign on the front of the cave and you know expect swarms of people to come get your book and that is the equivalent of not having a platform. No one knows that you're doing it and no one knows where to find you. And I have authors all the time who are saying, oh well, 
I'm not talking about my book. I don't want to put it out there in the world. I'm afraid someone's going to steal my idea. All these things that people do to hide what they're working on, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. You should be cultivating mm-hmm. your expertise long before you even publish the book. So it's it's hugely important for growth, and it's not a destination because it's ongoing. And I people say to me, are you still working on your platform? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just beginning. I mean, I uh, it, it is forever, and it's something that you can grow into and I even people who have huge huge platforms are growing their platforms like Oprah you know like someone like her (laughs) or you know people who just they everything they do feeds that machine absolutely I mean even you know authors like Liz Gilbert and Cheryl Strayed they're very on top of their social media and sharing and and cultivating that group of people that follow them and will buy their books again and again regardless of the subject that's um, right, because imagine if one of them just all of a sudden stopped, you know, if they dropped out of social media. I mean, they're, what you're doing with social, me, uh, social media and platform in general is, is continuing the conversation and engaging your, the people who already like you and are anticipating your, your next, whatever your next thing is. Exactly, exactly. And then I think what a lot of authors perhaps don't understand is that you have to sort of invest in yourself, and that means setting aside funds for hiring a publicist like you spoke of in the five P's. What do you think every author should do in terms of saving up? Like, is there a set price that you think is a realistic budget for any author? No, I think it really varies from author to author. You have to feel comfortable with the money that you're spending. I know people who have spent as little as $3,000 on a publicity budget. I know people who have done it on their own, although I think that's not the best uh, advice that I would give, and then I know people who have spent twenty thousand U.S. dollars. You know, so it's it can vary so much, and I I don't think there is a should. I think you have to really figure out what what you can afford and really what you want to do and what your goal is. And sometimes with the first book, you might start out smaller. I, I think it's a good idea to have a first book that kind of puts you on the map and that maybe is more of a loss leader and then invest in yourself more as you move forward. If you happen to get a traditional deal, however, I always recommend setting aside most of the advance, if not all of the advance for publicity. I think that's a really smart move and just put it back into yourself. You're investing in yourself. Absolutely, because when you do that, and I notice there's there's a lot of new authors or newer authors um, that will say, well, I need the money. But also the fact that you invest in yourself and you're pushing that work out there, it also shows your publisher that you're really serious about your craft and that you really want to build something long term and not just, you know, put out a one hit wonder kind of thing. And keeping your eye on that long-term game is so important. It can feel like, oh, I really need this $10,000 this year. But that $10,000 can manifest into so much more if you put it toward publicity, sell more books, get more visibility, and set yourself up to publish your second book in a better way. That's fantastic advice. Everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Kleibel, and today I'm talking with author advocate and co-founder and publisher of She Writes Press, Brooke Warner. When we come back, we'll discuss how soon you should start working on publicity for your book, what the three major sales channels are for authors, as well as how many reviews you should have on Amazon to really boost your book in rankings. We'll also share how you can win a copy of Brooke's latest guide, Greenlight Your Book. We'll be right back. 
Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, and today we're continuing the conversation with Brooke Warner. Be sure to listen to the end of the show to find out how you can win a free copy of her new book, Greenlight Your Book. Brooke, how soon should an author begin working on the publicity for their book when it's coming out? I think publicity starts the moment you have a publishing plan. It can be a little difficult to say that for self-published authors because sometimes self-published authors finish their book and then they say, oh, I'm ready to publish right now, and that doesn't give them enough time. The traditional industry wisdom is that you need at least three months in advance to start to get prepared for publicity. And so I think it is a good idea to hire someone six months in advance. And if you're doing any kind of like traditional or hybrid publishing, that's embedded into the process. You're going to at least have that much time. So if you're self-publishing, you may need to be thinking about hiring a publicist while you're still writing your book. Good advice. So in terms of traditional, someone would would say like three months beforehand. And also I think it's important to note that your publisher isn't solely responsible or doesn't often uh, cover a lot of the cost for publicity. So authors really need to keep in mind to save that piece of their advance or the whole advance, depending on the amount, to really go into promoting their work. I can't say enough about that. Yeah, it's it's so important, and it's what we were saying before about keeping your eye on that long-term game. And, and it may feel like a lot of money, and it's the results can sometimes feel a little soft, but it's so competitive out there that the more you can have someone working for you and getting you those hits, you, you're not only getting visibility for your book, you're also building your long-term platform. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you you make mention of the magic bakery metaphor, which I thought was fantastic. Could you explain the theory behind this? Yeah, well, it comes from Dean Wesley Smith, who is someone I read, <laughs> you know, and I he's a, he's a big ad, self-publishing advocate and is just a generally smart person about industry stuff. And so um, I, I want to make sure to give him credit and to tell people to read his book called Killing the Sacred Cows of Publishing. He's, he's very <laughs> um, irreverent. But the gist of it is that you have this magic bakery and it's full of magic pies and your magic pies, you, you know, these are your books. This is your inventory or your content. And that in essence, you can take a slice out of each book. And each time you do that, it magically reforms itself. And each piece of pie is a cash stream. And what this what he suggests that you do is you divvy up these pies, you know, so it means you have to learn about copyright and how to make a lot of money by selling off pieces. But the people who are really making the most money in the industry are people who understand that it's not just about putting out the U.S. edition, you know, print and ebook. That's not mm-hmm. enough. There's foreign rights. There's audio. Uh, you can sell pieces of your book. You can repurpose your book. You could create, you know, so many different content streams out of one single book. And for people who really understand that, they can begin to see the potential and possibility in in making a career from their writing and and, um, authorship. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because I think, 
you know, there's the perception, like we mentioned before, the book's done, it's out, I'm done with it. Yeah. <laughs> and really, it's a continuing, you know, you want to take pieces of it and use it to continue making money and repurposing content and getting it back out there. And your your book is forever. So you're selling that forever until the day you die. <laughs> if you That's want. right. It takes a lot of stamina. That's the thing, too. It goes back to this question I was saying about aptitude. A lot of people, I think, just are sick of their books by the time they come out. They want to move on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. it, you have to stay in the game, and you have to really have a mindset that is interested in pursuing this kind of thing. But for people who are saying, oh, well, you just can't make money off of publishing, Dean's point, and I totally agree with him, is, well, it's not that. It's that you have to think a little bit bigger and and more creatively and more flexibly. Absolutely. You also made mention of the author freakout zone, which I'm <laughs> I'm kind of in at the moment. So I thought that was really interesting because everyone, as they get closer to publication, they start to think this is crap. I don't, I don't know if I should publish this. Do you find that many authors self-sabotage their work at this point? Sometimes, not many. I, I definitely have had people sabotage their work when they get into it because they, they hyper-correct. So before the book is going to the printer, they start to take things out or they start to second-guess or they're editing beyond what they should be editing. There comes a point when you really need to say, okay, my content is secure. And I think if you know that you're spiraling into, oh, my gosh, my writing is crap and your book is done, that you should sit on your hands. <laughs> you know, give it to <laughs> someone else to review or to edit you have to be really really careful and then the other place where authors sabotage in this moment is just around um yeah i mean some of the publicity people can pair back or i I don't know there's there's so many things that authors do in this zone that aren't really coming from a rational place so so you do need to be careful and have the self-awareness and maybe even you know take a couple days completely off just to regroup good advice so we we kind of mentioned that we'd talk about the three major sales channels. What are the three major sales channels for authors to focus on? Yeah, so these are the trade markets, which is kind of the most obvious. Trade just means it retail. So Amazon, the independents, Barnes & Noble, and that can be online or brick and mortar. And then there's special sales and mass markets, and these include things like your big box stores, grocery stores, specialty shops, um, and then even you know retail outlets that have books that they sell, you know places like Home Depot or you know lots of other examples of that. Um, and then third is ebooks. I did say the trade markets include ebooks, and they do, but the ebooks market is huge because it's much beyond mm-hmm. just Amazon. Although Amazon is such a big player. Our authors, because we have uh, you know traditional distribution, we have 127 ebook partners, and it's always interesting and kind of surprising to me to see where all of those outlets go and where they sell. And for authors who are really savvy about it, they can get on to lots of different kinds of ebook platforms and not just the top three. So those are the primary sales. And then um, the woman that I interviewed for this in the book is Brenda Knight, and she's an um, ex-publisher and publishing expert. And she says, you know, there are a fourth and fifth areas of sales, but those are just gravy. And those are the foreign and audio, which goes back to Dean's magic pie thing, <laughs> you know, that foreign mm-hmm. and audio are part of your magic pie. And then this goes on and on and on. You know, there are these, all these sales channels beyond these top five uh, that authors can tap into. 
Well, and and speaking of Amazon, in terms of reviews, you know, I, I found it interesting how many you need. So how many reviews are ideal for an author to have as the bare minimum to sort of boost their ranking there? Well, it's they. I heard this, and you know, I don't even know if it's true because you hear these things from people who claim mm-hmm. to have cracked the code. Um, that Amazon will actually promote your work differently if you have 50 reviews, and so Al- Amazon works on algorithms, as most people know. And so, what the 50 reviews show is that that is it's a status that says, look, this book has a lot of reviews and it's getting a lot of attention. And so I don't think that I would qualify it as the minimum reviews needed because it's hard mm-hmm. to get 50 reviews. I don't even think I have 50 reviews on all of my books. Um, but it, it's just to say that if you're really, really focused on Amazon and you want to kind of you know, fiddle with their algorithms, that tr- focusing on getting 50 is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned BookBub campaigns, which BookBub will handle sort of discounting your book and promoting it for you. Is that correct? Yes. They, um, so the, the BookBub campaigns is just one of many marketing strategies that my authors are trying out with great success. It's pretty amazing how much they can push the book. So you do have to discount your book to 99%, uh, sorry, 99 cents. Uh, mm-hmm. You, the author, have to do that. So as the publisher, we discount the book in time for the BookBub campaign. And then what they do is they put it out in their channels and they really push it in their networks. And, and then it is discounted for three or four days is kind of the typical campaign. But we've had authors sell out of these campaigns. And granted, they're 99 cents a book, but still the sales traction is enormous. Thousands and thousands of copies. We had one author sell uh, well over 25 um, how many was it? Sorry, twenty five thousand. So at ninety nine wow. cents a book, you know, it, you, it might seem like not a lot, but that's a lot of of traction. And you know, she ends up getting twenty five hundred dollars. So it was good. It was great for her. And how wow, that's for fantastic. And I, I mean, I was I, I've seen BookBub. They're promoting pretty heavily on Pinterest right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I keep, I kept seeing them, and I was like, I don't know what to think of this. And then when I read it in your book, I thought that's so fantastic because I think one of the things I've noticed with some people who have self-published is that sometimes they price their book way too high, and yeah. it really turns people off. So you mentioned, you know, make sure you price competitively because right. you want people to buy the book. You don't want to price it at $25 a copy. <laughs> you know, you want to make your money back, but sometimes less is more. And sometimes authors can inadvertently push themselves out of bookstores when they don't price competitively. And that's another, even if you're a self-published author and you aren't going to be in that many bookstores, you don't want to be in a position where a bookstore kind of raises its eyebrows at your price and says, oh, wow, that's, that's not competitive in your space. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You want to keep yourself in as much as you can, especially when you self-publish, right? You want to be your own best salesman and you want to make yourself as accessible as possible. Now, is there anywhere that a, if someone decides to go with the self-publishing route, is there anywhere that their their book can't be sold that won't accept their work? That only happens if uh, an author publishes with CreateSpace and the bookstore has a specific anti-Amazon policy 
which okay. is, is common. And the way to get around that is to publish on CreateSpace and Ingram simultaneously, which I recommend to anyone, everyone anyway. It just makes good business sense because then your book is very readily available to Amazon through CreateSpace, which is what you want, and then it's available to all the other sales channels through Ingram. And so it's, it's, a, it's a great strategy and avoids that problem of it being stigmatized for being a CreateSpace book. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed reading about the self, like everything to do with self-publishing because it's an area that I'm not familiar. I've been, you know, immersed in the traditional publishing sort of realm, and you know, I think people are ready for a change. And and you were saying that in the book, you know, people have to stand up because there's awards that there's some amazingly beautiful, beautiful self-published book that it deserve to be with the win these awards and sometimes they're not able to submit so do you find that shifting now like many of them are starting to accept self-published work it's shifting but not quickly enough uh, there are so many awards and contests and associations that still do not accept self-published authors simply because they're self-published and I make a huge case in the book, and I'm doing a lot of outside advocacy as well, that we need to change the measures. That's not, it's no longer a good measure, and I think anyone you talk to understands that, but they don't know what to do about it because mm-hmm. it's a, the answer is always, well, we're overwhelmed, and it's a really easy, clear line in the sand. The problem, from my perspective, however, is that it's a discriminatory line in the sand, and there are so many beautiful books that deserve to get recognition, and so the industry is shifting, but we have a long ways to go do you think what do you think we can do as a collective to sort of change this is it does it take people writing to the people that host the contest and host the awards how can we how can we do something I think it starts from self-published authors yeah beginning to advocate for themselves and when they know that they have a book that is just as good as their traditional counterparts to to write letters and say, you know, we don't believe that this is a good measure. I mean, to change hearts and minds, of course, you have to go about it from a, a progressive and um, understanding campaign. I'm part of a campaign, actually, an advocacy campaign through the Independent Book Publishers Association that we're working on this actively. So for people who are really interested in listening to the show, I would encourage them to join the Independent Book Publishers Association because it's an association that does advocate on behalf of non-traditionally published authors. And so there are ways to get involved, and we're looking for people to get involved. And I'm not the only person really interested in this kind of advocacy, but for listeners who want a place to start, that's a good place to start. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely, I'll get that information from you as well, and we'll post it on the After the Show blog for people to see as well. Brooke, I just want to thank you so much for, firstly, for writing this book. I think it's 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 one of those guides that everybody needs to read, whether you're going to self-publish or go the traditional route. There were so many amazing tips jam-packed into this <laughs> little book. So thank you so much. And thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of this wisdom with our listeners. Thanks for having me, Crystal. No problem. Everyone, Brooke Warner can be found online at brookwarner.com or she writes 
crystalleequibles.com. You can win a free copy of Greenlight Your Book by visiting my website at crystalleequibles.com and sign up for the newsletter. Winners will be notified weekly on our Facebook page, so be sure to like us there as well under Crystal Lee Quibble. Be sure to tune in next week for more tips and tricks on how to write and publish your book. Thank you for listening and do keep writing. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.